Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. At the moment, it's hosted by Ed, otherwise known as Cal, by Megan and myself, Steve. We're not sure if others are going to be popping in and out today. So welcome, Ed and Megan. Hey, everybody. Um, I don't know if you guys want to start with foreign stuff, but I think the important stories are the gentleman in Argentina, and I just saw before the show that Geert Wilders scored a big victory in Netherlands. Are you guys following that one? I didn't hear about the results of the Netherlands elections, but I have followed what's going on in Argentina, and that's an exciting story. Okay, speak about it, please. Well, there was a runoff election, and one of the two uh, candidates was a very libertarian, almost anarchist, uh, pro-liberty advocate who, among other things, ran on eliminating, I think, 11 out of 19 federal or governmental departments, uh, including he wants to get rid of the central bank. I think he's going to, he says he wants to get rid of the Argentine currency and just use the U.S. dollar. Um, and he walked around during his uh, his campaign with a chainsaw to, to memorialize what he intended to do with the government. And uh, I think it's, a, it's an exciting development. And people on the left are already scared to death of him, calling him, you know, uh, you know, far right. Uh, yeah. Type. Oh, yep. far right extremist. That yeah, of course. That's the the very good news is they hate his guts. Um, <laughs> the obvious question is, will he be able to accomplish anything? Um, it's interesting that Argentina seems to swing so far on the pendulum. Well, I think they've got like triple digit inflation. I'm thinking one forty six is the last I heard. 146 i was thinking it was double that but that's a lot regardless i know we complain when ours is six so ours is six or seven and we're very unhappy about it 146 percent inflation is you guys ever live in such inflation you've always lived in america right yes so when i first i've always lived in america i know i've never lived with that inflation when i first went to israel i don't know what the rate of inflation was but i know that when you got lira which was still the currency you immediately went to the black market to buy dollars because at the time it was illegal because the next day it wasn't worth much. And that's why when Israel moved from lira to shekel, I think they took three zeros off. And then only a few years later, they took another three zeros off to make the new Israeli shekel, which is now stable. So I have a little idea of the insane inflation and Argentina is far worse than that. So you literally from day to day, your money's worthless. He also said that he wants to move away from China and move closer, have closer relations to the United States and to Israel, which I think is an interesting, uh, interesting thing for him to say. Do you have any idea how long their terms are? No, I don't. A luck. Yeah. And I wonder how much power they have and stuff, because it seems like an incredibly extreme swing from what I think of as basically a socialist country. And then, so you wonder, especially with foreign policy, you know, if it doesn't last long, then when you switch alliances and stuff. Four years. Doesn't really matter. With the possibility of immediate reelection for one more term. 
immediate re-election. Okay, but you still have to win an election. I'm just saying- I thought you were going to say with the possibility of being president for life if you do it right. I thought you were going to say possibility of parole. <laughs> well, the, like the, the left is already commuting this guy's to, to jail. I mean, if you look at what's coming up on Instagram and Twitter, well, X, they're, mm-hmm. they're already, this guy's already toast, according to them. Argentina is only, Argentina is only going to get worse. Uh, it's like the Antichrist has risen from Argentina. The world's ending down there, mm-hmm. according according to the left. You know, one of the problems with American foreign policy is one president promises the next one's not bound to. If you remember when, Ob- when Obama got into office and he goes, I don't care about Bush's letter to Israel. Right. So especially in Argentina now, a promise is only at best worth a couple of years and then it can backfire. So you can't really rely on presidents anymore. No, well, that's why Tip O'Neill said all elections are local, you know, and that was decades ago. And that's where my passion is. I think we we hit on that a little bit last week is, you know, if, if you're so far worried about the foreign elections, if you're so worried about the federal elections, and you're not taking a look at what's going on in your own backyard. Well, they're the ones that suck the most money from you. They're the ones that have the most impact on your everyday life from, you know, filling up a cup of water when you get up in the morning to drive into work to sending your kids to school. Those are the elections that really, really uh, have the most impact. So I think right. it's really interesting. I'm officially inviting you. We're going to do one whole show on this. Oh, goodness. Because <laughs> um, last time I looked, it wasn't New York City telling me how much water I could flush. <laughs> It's Who the, was it? It's the federal government. Oh, that's the federal government. Yeah. Yeah, light bulbs are federal, but yeah, it would be a really interesting discussion. I'm just saying, like foreign policy is important, but it doesn't last. Right. Like, Argentina is going to pull away from China, pull towards Israel, but that's really nice. But who can count yeah. on anything? So. Yeah, those you are know, nice words. You know, I I I stuck in the chat. I don't know if you had a second to click the Geert Wilders. Um, is now the biggest party supposedly in the upcoming parliament. Although again, you have to build coalitions and you know much about the Dutch coalitions, but he may not be able to build one, I guess. Nice. I don't know what just happened. I clicked on it and now I'm gone. Just one of those things. But it is interesting that two countries would have such extreme switches you know, with elections at the moment. Does that bode in any way for America? Probably not. But so, yeah. I don't want to talk about the Israeli hostages business too much because frankly, I uh, I have nothing nice to say about it. Ed, if you have any comments on it, you're always welcome. The only ones who want a ceasefire are the ones we're losing. And to me, if Israel is winning, they should have kept going and they should have gone to, for the victory. And yeah. this shows that it's it's the same Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown as, as it always is. It looks like Israel's going to win. And then for whatever reason, whether it's the American president or somebody else threatening them or telling them you better stop. And then they stop and they don't go and they don't go all the way. To victory. So I guess I owe you an apology, Ed, because I channeled you without permission today. 
I actually dug up the Lucy cartoon and stuck it on our family thread when we were arguing <laughs> Israel today. Um, what bothers me is, as usual, Netanyahu talks, but absolutely never lives up to what he says he's going to do. And I think it's disastrous because I think actually, I mean, Ed Powell's not here to argue, but I think the Israeli army was doing an unbelievably good job, far better than expected. And stopping them like this only bodes disaster. So It allows the other side to regroup, rearm, catch their breaths. Mm-hmm. And part of the deal is that Israel's not allowed to fly anything those six hours a day. So we can sneak around and do anything we want and you're not allowed to look. That's quite a deal. Plus, they're giving away, Israel's giving away three convicted terrorists for one innocent hostage. And I'm not quite sure how that math works. It does. I mean, the math is the math, but it's... I could it's hear three innocents for one terrorist, but not three terrorists for one innocent. So... Appeasement never works, and you would think Jews would know that better than anyone. Um, because the Israeli left is just like the American left and is pressuring just as much as the as America, Europe, etc. are. So it's very it's very sad because this time some people had hope that they wouldn't cave. Listen, didn't America say we don't negotiate with terrorists, but we paid how many billions of dollars to get certain people back? Six. Okay. I mean, that's just, yeah. but we've we've done it for other times as well, I believe. And so Israel says the same thing. We don't negotiate with terrorists except for when we do. I think that's how it goes. You know, it's really scary though, but what don't we know? What, what don't we know? If they were obliterating those terrorists, like what, what don't we know about what kind of weapons they must have? What well, kind of intelligence they must have? Yeah. I mean, they must have something. Why? Why do you think that they're backing down? Why? Because of the, because of the press, world opinion, the usual stuff really? like that. We can't uh, live without America, which is an interesting fight, whether they can or cannot live without America. For that, you yeah. have to bring Laser in with his yeah. uh, idiosyncratic way of putting things. But what interested me about the whole thing is when you read the stories about Gaza, it's like the entire place was literally one military base. There's like right. no homes without weapons. There's yeah. no homes without tunnels. Like, is anything there civilian? And, you know, they always said if you give them cement, they're going to build tunnels. They're not going to build hospitals. But it hits me the entire place is militarized. Mm-hmm. Hamas doesn't rest. They're always building something, always plotting something. And why the world wants that to exist. You know, they're kind of now that I think about it, Gaza is like the reverse of Switzerland. The right. One, it's one peaceful country and one militarized country. Nobody wants the Gazans to get out of there. Egypt locks them in. Nobody wants them. But they like having a totally militarized place. So. You know, it's also really interesting. You know, you brought up Egypt. There are other Arab countries, obviously, where if things are really that bad for the people who live there, why aren't they being welcomed in by other Arab nations? And why? Why is it because the other Arab nations have also said, no, we don't want you. You're terrorists. We don't want you. Why aren't they getting the condemnation that the Israelis are? I mean, it's so mind blowingly evident the amount of anti-Semitism in this world to me that 
it, I can't, I didn't even talk. I think when you guys were discussing the hostage situation, it's just, I, I can't process yeah. it. Well, wherever the Palestinians go, they try to overthrow governments. And also, you know, we look because we're not Arab. So we look at Arabs the way non-Jews look at Jews. Like they're all Jews. They're all Arabs. But it's not like that, obviously. And no, Egypt, I don't right? Syrians was... and Syrians are Iraqis and they got their own politics and their own old, you know, long-lived hatreds, etc. So the fact yes. is that Egypt blockades Gaza as much as uh, Israel does. But anyway. Yeah, but nobody says anything about that. Because nobody reports it. It gets back to what I keep saying on this podcast. If uh, the media doesn't report something, it didn't happen. And the media only reports what it wants to report. And they ignore what they want to ignore. And they come outright lie. I mean, the thing that the BBC did last week when they said that Israel was attacking Arab doctors and then said, whoops, wait a minute, Israel was bringing Arabic speaking doctors to help people. We're sorry, we made a slight error. Oh, a tiny little error in one direction, kind of like the American press. Anyway. Yes, I remember something like that. It was like Trump had some kind of memo regarding uh, some kind of home, like Homeland Security uh, issue, but um, it was there, there was an issue with a gay couple wanting to adopt overseas or, or something. And so the media launched this whole thing about Trump's homophobia. And then like two days later on like, and that was like front page news, two days later on like page 12 in like the classified ads was like redacted. Like we, this is the editing error that was made. Um, and this is the real story. Yep. So. And only in one direction as always. So actually, speaking of media, that's a great segue. Ed, your buddy Johnson, who listens to the show and heard you call him out, seems to have released all the videos. Okay. You said you tweeted him, right? I did. There's no other explanation for why he changed his mind. It's pretty much the godfather. Well, Ed, listen, all I know is we had a show, Ed called him out. Ed tweeted him, and now he's releasing the videos. Great job, Ed. So to me, that's causality. I'm going to give credit to Ed Ripken. Um, are you surprised he did it, Ed? Um, honestly, I hadn't really given it any thought. I mean, I don't expect anything from Republicans, so I guess I'd have to say I'm a little bit surprised. But, you know, our, our friend Daniel had a post about it, uh, a couple of days ago where he said, you know, even without the, the release of all the tapes, we already had enough evidence to know that it was all a big setup and nobody is really, you know, it's still considered, you know, contentious and, you know, like it's not, it's not already been proven and it has been proven. I mean, the, the Capitol police fired on innocent people, the, People walking into the Capitol were looked like tourists. <laughs> Welcomed in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So I think yes. we probably all said way back when that it wouldn't matter because, again, if the press ignores it, it didn't happen. And the press is just saying, oh, it doesn't prove anything or it's no big deal or it doesn't change. I anything. disagree with you on that. I don't think no. this is about the press. The issue is Republicans in general and Trump in particular. Trump should be screaming every day about the hostages. 
his people are being held hostage. That's if he wanted, if he wants to get my vote, if he wants to show that he's the right man for the job, that's one of the messages he, he should be saying. He should be calling them hostages and demanding their immediate release. And he I've should been be kind of not paying attention to a lot of American news lately because I'm obsessed with the overseas stuff. But I take it that since these were released, we haven't heard boo from Trump. He, I mean, he, he, he sometimes mentions them, but I mean, I mean since their tapes were released, he hasn't. Yeah, I don't think he said much, if anything. Um, you know, he's been focused on trying to get the RNC to shut down the debates. So um, that, that's his focus right now. Um, and he just, you know, he drives me crazy about that. You know, I, I, I want, he's, he's the kind of guy I want to support him, but he makes it, I won't say impossible, but he makes it really hard to support. So our fearless leader told me that Trump came out saying he wants free college through master's degrees for everybody. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that, but I did yeah. hear that he's that our fearless leader did mention that. Okay, so I, I have no idea if it's true or not, but that would just be a typical Trump. Get my name in the news by. It's it's like literally he's a shotgun, and you never know what's going to come out next. And as you would say, none of it is necessarily consistent with any ideology whatsoever. Um, and as Ed, as you always say, what the heck is he running on? Oh. He, uh, let's see, when was this? Uh, former President Donald Trump recently proposed the establishment of American Academy, a free online university offering instruction in all disciplines. Funding for the Academy would come from wealthy private universities whose endowments would be further taxed. Oh, actually, if I could take that, maybe. I, yeah, that doesn't sound... I don't know if that, I like the taxing part, but if Harvard wants to donate $40 billion... Um, yeah, no. It, Voluntarily, it would be cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm all for taxing the heck out of the endowments of these universities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess we we would have to do that in a way where it's not, what's that word? You're not allowed to tax one and not the other unless it's a Democrat? Well, we could just defund the They're government all schools. Democrat. What are you talking about? It's a well, monopoly. Which schools? Mm -hmm. What you got like 20, 20 schools like Hillsdale and Grove City College and maybe you know ten or twenty others like that. We got four thousand leftist Marxist universities in the country, right? And mm -hmm. the ones with the big endowments are, are quite leftists. Yeah, but you would have to. I mean, you're talking about taxing assets, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of tricky. I mean it. It's no no trickier than the estate tax. Yeah, but you have to die for the estate tax, right? Okay, but they <laughs> still no... tax it. Why can't they tax the endowments? I mean, I don't, I don't see the the, I don't see the constitutional authority to do an estate tax. But if there is a constitutional authority to do an estate tax, why can't they do an endowment tax? Okay, well, let me ask our resident attorney, what is the constitutional basis for an estate tax? You know, I haven't looked that up in a while. I'm guessing it has to do with regulating commerce and that too much concentration of wealth um, allegedly is, is 
detrimental to commerce. That's my guess, but I, I don't know for sure. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, doesn't what do you that detrimental to commerce? I don't think there is a state tax in South Dakota, is there? Well, there's a federal one. It's federal. But then we're also getting hit on the state levels, right? Correct. Some, not all states, but some states. Yeah, I thought it was South Dakota doesn't have it. Anybody oh, know how old the um, how old the estate tax is? How old? We can make it a birthday party. Because like Wood a Woodrow Wilson thing. I don't know. What was that? What's the name of the famous cave? Is that Wilbert or something? I don't know. What are you talking about? The one about? that blew up the Commerce Clause and said it covers everything. The famous case. Oh, Wickard versus Philbrook? I knew there was a W in there. Yeah, the one that said that if you do something in your home, but it affects commerce because somebody won't buy something, then it's part of the Commerce Clause. Because you really got to stretch that to take money from somebody's estate. They just do whatever they want. Right. So, all right. So Trump's idea isn't that horrible, actually. Mm -mm. Well, it is horrible because he's not looking, he's not looking to punish the large universities. He's looking to set up another entitlement, which I, I don't think is a good idea. Actually, I think you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I thought he's just doing it to get his name in the paper again. So... Right, but how does he want to get his name in the paper? By promising more goodies, more free stuff. I mean, a cynic on our podcast may say he's got billions. Why doesn't he start it up himself? Does he really have billions, though? He did do Trump University. Didn't work out too yeah. well. Yeah, I assume they had tuition, though, right? I'm sure. They didn't go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that totally uh, crashed and burned. <laughs> but yeah, all right. Well, it's not a fantastic thing, but not quite as bad as I thought it was. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And um, are you following the Musk suing? I think Media Matters story. Uh, what is he suing for now? Are you following it? I I followed it obliquely. I'm not. I don't remember all the details though. Apparently that he's suing them because they they put out some false story about him being an anti-Semite and That's what I thought. a bunch of people stopped uh, advertising on his platform. Is that what is that what the suit is? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. It was something also that maybe ads were popping up on various stories that were anti-Semitic ads or something. So they accused him of being anti-Semitic, but he's going to sue them in a thermonuclear suit, which you probably didn't learn about in law school. Mm -hmm. uh, did not learn about it in law school. But he's watched Oppenheimer, so he knows about thermonuclear. Oh, there, there we go. So, I mean, I guess there's nothing horrible about Musk suing Media Matters at worst, anyway. No. Somebody's got to take it on. I did see that he clarified that, you know, when he, um, there was a comment on Twitter, and it, it at first blush looked pretty disturbing, and then... Uh, he said it's true, right? 
Right. He did that true thing. That's what got him in trouble. But I don't remember what he said it was true about. Right. And then he released a comment um, supporting Israel. uh, If anything that says from the river to the sea pops up on X, he was going to remove it immediately. Um, So I I have it. I sent it to you, Ed. I think the it's true thing was that uh, a lot of the anti-Semitism Jews bring upon themselves, something about something like that. Wait a minute. So if I agree with that, I'm an anti-Semite? I think that's, I mean, I don't remember the exact quote, but I think that's that's what he was agreeing with. That, Interesting. Yeah. That, a lot of, that, that a lot of Jews do a lot of really bad things that generate hatred and uh, but I don't well, remember. They, well, as a group, they voted for Biden, so I saw that as voting for their own extinction. So I mean, I I was I think we were it's like supporting mass migration of third world savages into yeah. Western democracies, things like that. Well, I'm not going to say it's true because I don't want to be labeled an anti semite. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've had those arguments though with some liberal Jewish friends of mine, and I. I said how could you how could you vote for this like these people that this party they have anti-semites they hate jewish people so much how could you possibly support them and they're just like oh no it's not that we don't like trump this and they go back to trump the mean tweets and everything like they would rather vote for their own extinction than read a mean tweet and you know that no i forget that they'd rather vote for their own extinction than vote for any republican yeah, no, but it's literally sad. had that specific conversation. Oh um, my god. And even though now there's talk of some movement of the Jewish vote, nobody knows if that's gonna last. Just like there's talk of movement about the black vote mm-hmm. that's saying they're not all like 90% of them may not vote for it by maybe only 88%. So again, it's always hard to know. I don't think Jews would vote Republican anyway. I think at best they would stay home and I'm not even sure they would do that. But yeah, why do people vote against their own interests? The question of why Jews vote liberal has penned many, many books and Mm -hmm. no one's ever been totally satisfied with the answer that I know about. I told you, I have the answer. Okay. The reason Jews vote leftist is because Jewish culture not just values, but extols education and the left controls education. So if you immerse your children in education, they're going to be brainwashed to vote for the left. Very simple. Wait a minute. That, that's why Jews would send their kids to liberal schools. Right. And then when they send them to liberal schools, they get brainwashed and they become leftists. So they're not voting Jewish, they're voting leftist. You're saying it's an effect of going to liberal schools. I think they're leftist even before that, though. Hmm. I mean, there are Jews on the left, on the far left, who were educated literally 60, 70 years ago. And I don't think the education system was nearly that messed up then. Yeah, but the left was taking over the the universities and the, the newspapers going as far back as the 20s and 30s i mean look at the look at the press that stalin got look at the press that hitler got before you know he invaded russia yeah the eugenics movement that was 
on Long Island. And that was started here. And that that's a leftist revolution. Margaret Sanger's their poster girl. And then Hitler found that book, Eugenics. I have it upstairs, actually. We keep it in a, a very uh, secret spot. And Hitler got a hold of it. And he just followed it to its logical conclusion. And it started right here on Long Island, the progressive movement. Okay, got to consider your argument, Ed. That's interesting. You're saying Jews being left goes back even to the 30s and 40s. Yes. Those were learned people That's who wrote the book. Probably even more scary. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it's a little more complicated than that because that wouldn't account for Jews who only came after the Second World War and lived in their own enclaves. Mm. who still vote left locally for other reasons, even though nationally they may vote right. But obviously there's a difference between the Orthodox Jews who vote right and the non-Orthodox <laughs> Jews who never vote right. I'm and not saying that this applies, that what I'm, I'm not saying my theory applies to every single Jewish person, but as a group, you're asking for a larger macro explanation. I think that's the explanation. Right. So it's interesting because you're saying it started much earlier than I would have thought it started. I mean, Nikola Tesla was a, you know, you consider him one of the smartest people that ever lived. And he was really into eugenics and Woodrow Wilson and Theodore Roosevelt. They were all supporting it also. And a lot of the early communists were right. Jews. So it's not surprising yeah. that Jews would you know, be attracted or have affinity for people that, you know, for a movement led by Jew, other Jews. But again, they wind up getting snookered. Yep. All right. I got to think about this some more. It's a very, it's a very interesting argument. It's not really the argument most people make, but it's quite interesting. Because I mean, I know people, Jewish people, who whose families have been socialists for a hundred years. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you're you're a rabbi, so you're 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 well steeped in in you know what what it means to be a Jew. When when people when these Jews are voting left, I mean, are they expressing the Talmud? Are they expressing the Torah? Or are they expressing leftism? Well, they're bastardizing I, it. Is right. I think that's my you point. Saw that um... I don't think I don't I think that when you see this anti-Semitism, it's misdirected. It's it, it the 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 people that the Jews that are voting left are not doing so because they're Jews. They're doing so because they're leftists. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you see that rabbi? What's her name? Jessica something or another. This rabbi lady with a beard who was yelling proceeds fire at some big thing. It's all over the place. Lady with a beard. A rabbi. I didn't hear, I didn't hear anything after that. With a beard. And she was the one in in a YouTube that was pretty viral, I believe, yelling, I'm a rabbi and I'm proceeds fire in Israel. And it was, <laughs> yeah, the picture was a little strange, shall we say, to those of us who are stuck in old-fashioned binariness. Yeah. If she was on CNN. Rabbi Jessica, Jessica Robinson, I don't remember the last name. Rosenberg interrupted Joe Biden mid-Minneapolis oh fundraiser yep and does it have a picture of her oh she's lovely okay i'm not going to comment on her looks i was just commenting on her facial hair yeah i saw it uh now i don't i don't see it 
Yeah. I saw it when I was looking for her, when I was Googling here. Yeah, no. But, they, you know, they claim to be speaking in the name of Judaism. Very hard to see. Yeah, you, she has a beard, right? <laughs> Very attractive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do that next week. Do you think I could pull it off? You know, I know I'm the oldest. I hope you don't try. I'm the, I'm the oldest person here, which is funny. But we remember when women women with beards were at the Barnum and Bailey Circus, right? Right. I mean, it was in The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. Yes. <laughs> in our lifetime, we've gone from that to that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. wow. We're I've, just a freak show. I've lived a meaningful life. <laughs> we're, we're living the circus life. Well, actually, back the day, that may be the quote of the day. Because we're kind of living in a circus. <laughs> so nothing of which is funny about, but yeah. Circus yeah. is a little more wholesome and a little more benevolent than what we're living Than what we're actually living, yes. <laughs> on, on the we're lighter cool. side, we can call it a circus. We're yeah, but something really malevolent, in my opinion. Circuses are a little malevolent. I mean, they put on a good show, like what the media is doing, but underneath all that, underneath that big top, there's a lot of Abuse of the animals, abuse of the um, performers, drugs, a lot of bad, bad stuff. Well, they were put out of business, right? Because of pretty much everything I mentioned, I'm sure. Right. right. But there still are circuses. I don't go, but. Mm-hmm. You know, Ed, kind of what you mentioned about the J6ers coming to light really jives with every day another COVID story about how everything we said was true, everything they said was a lie, how mm-hmm. unbelievably horrific this was. But again, does anybody really care? There's still no pitchforks. Now, obviously, Trump is vulnerable on that. But like we always say, no one else is screaming. Mm-hmm. But that's that, I think that's a function of Trump sucking the oxygen out of the room and people people being afraid to attack him. I mean, I keep waiting for DeSantis or somebody to attack Trump on that. I mean, Chris Christie has been willing to attack Trump on pretty much anything. When is he going to start land, you know, landing blows on that? Somebody needs to somebody needs to make that argument because the Republican Party is checkmated as long as Trump is its standard bearer and as long as Trump is mm-hmm. if he's not the leader, he's he's one of the leaders of the party and mm-hmm. I mean it's like Romney trying to oppose Obamacare. I mean Trump just can't oppose I mean, he could, but he just doesn't have it in him to say I was wrong. So as long as Trump is is among the leaders and nobody is willing to attack him on it, the Republican Party is silenced about it. Right. And then the so-called common man slash grassroots, nobody's making a big deal. I mean, lots of people make a big deal. It's just this. I mean, their voice doesn't get heard, but. If you talk to people, I talk to people a lot and lots of people are are really angry and upset about the whole Vax thing and how what's coming to light. I mean, what's no the New York on. Times saying that school closures have set us back decades. Um, then all the Vax stuff, obviously. The military is now trying to sort of re-recruit all the people they kicked out. I mean, there's pretty much not a day or two without a story about how literally everything they said was a horrible lie and a disaster. And I mean, are we not going with pitchforks because there's no leader? We're not going with pitchforks because we're afraid of being with the J6ers. I think it's because we have no leader. I mean, 
it's not about the media. It's about, you know, if the, if the opposition party is not willing to make it an issue, I, I can't. It's not the media's fault that the Republican Party is chicken shit. OK, well, Rand Paul runs with that, right? The covid stuff. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Thomas Massey does. I mean, there are a few who do. Chip Roy does. But I mean, they just get they get marginalized because it's not what the party it's not. The party as a whole is not backing that position. So they get marginalized. If the if the entire Republican Party were saying these things, you know, on a daily basis, then it would ha- it might not get news day one, day two, day 10, whatever. But eventually the drumbeat would be would would get louder. And and the reality is there are a lot of people that are pissed off about it, but they have no voice right now. Okay, that's an interesting position. I'm really glad I listened to this show because I learn stuff every week. But Republicans have never really come to their own, you know, defense at all. Like, even I remember being a kid in school and watching, like, Bill Clinton um, get impeached. And due to the perjury that that he should have been kicked out of office for, if it was a Republican president who perjured themselves, no doubt the Democrats would have gone for a full uh fully for them to just get out of the white house so we just i don't know like i don't know how we get a reputation of being so aggressive and yet we just lay down i i it's just um, we're, Mike, right, you're, we're right you're we're right we're right show lay down. so do you remember when we said i forget whose idea it was that the uh logo for the republican party should be changed mm-hmm. and do you remember whose idea it was don't remember. Maybe it had peas. I don't know. We the logo should change to a cave. I was thinking of a white flag. Okay. An elephant on its back. <laughs> but because they cave so often. Okay. Well, we could do a cave hanging a white flag. I just don't. It's just disappointing. It just causes people like me who like. I mean, I know Eric Hoffer wrote True Believers. Like I would say, like I, I absolutely believe in the fundamental truths that are within the Republican Party, but it's just I get so much disappointment from leadership on the federal level. Absolutely not at the county level. I have to put that in there. But it's just like, why am I even doing what I'm doing? Why do I spend, you know, March to November pretty much away from my family, knocking on doors? working, handing out literature, doing all this just to get slapped in the face. And even though we're right, we don't, we don't fight. It, Let it's me ask you, Megan. Annoying. What are the fundamental truths of the Republican Party? Because I don't think they have any. Right? No, I'm going back to Lincoln. You know, like the whole upholding the Constitution, the whole anti-slavery, anti-racism, that, that whole thing. Um, lower taxes. Go back to Lincoln. I mean, his fundamental truth was, I mean, actually, he wasn't so anti-slavery. He was pro-union. But Mm -hmm. even if I grant that he was anti-slavery, if you look back, the means by which they wanted to eliminate slavery involved empowering the federal government. The Republican Party has always been a big, big government party, going back to Lincoln and its founding. I mean, when it comes to human rights. The original the original conception of the Constitution was that human rights. I mean, first of all, that phrase wasn't even around back then. But to the extent that phrase has meaning today, Madison and Jefferson and and the rest of the founders would have said 
that's a state issue. The state should be protecting human rights. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that the Republicans are just behaving as Republicans. Yeah, I mean, if you look back, I mean, I, you know, I, I've looked back at the party platform from 1860, which is something interesting to look at if you want. The Republican mm-hmm. Party was all for the federal government building more roads, more canals, more infrastructure, um, big government things, you know, and and using the federal government to outlaw slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, outlawing slavery was a good was a good thing. Um, but the, the means that they wanted to use involved big government. And I believe that the Republican Party has always been a big government party. It's not some virus that they contracted in the 20th century. I think it's always been in the party. I mean, if you look back at the early progressives in the 1880s in Wisconsin and and uh, Michigan and Minnesota, uh, where the progressive movement began, they started off as Republicans. There were more Republicans. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, like TR. Yeah. Yeah. Taft was a you know was a Republican. I mean, it started in the Republican Party. It wasn't until Wilson and, and um, FDR that the progressives took over both parties. So was Barry Goldwater a break on that? Absolutely. And that's why he had to be vilified the way he was. So in other words, he was like one of the first ones laying down that line, and that's why they had to destroy him. Well, Taft's... Uh, I don't know if it was his son. I think it was his cousin, Robert Taft from Ohio, was was not a progressive. He was more of a Goldwater type Republican. Um, there were some Republicans that weren't progressives, but progressivism was started off in the Republican Party. And uh, big government has been a big part of the Republican identity from the very beginning. Hmm. Okay. Wow. The only other story of interest was the legal story, the Eighth Circuit Court decision. Yeah. Voting rights law. Can you explain that at all, Ed? Yeah. It, uh, it's a decision that, that involves the Voting Rights Act. And the way the Voting Rights Act has been used is that these left-wing groups file lawsuits alleging voting rights violations. And oftentimes they'll do it in a, you know, a red, a mostly red state that has either a Democrat attorney general or some, the, a Democrat that's in charge of the litigation. Hmm. And then they'll, they'll settle the litigation on terms that the legislature and the, and the governor would never have agreed to. Um, and sometimes they'll wind up being lawsuits, but Uh, or further lawsuits, but basically uh, these private entities are circumventing uh, or they're they're imposing political decisions that outside the legislative process. And uh, the Eighth Circuit held that only the U.S. Attorney General has standing to bring a Voting Rights Act claim. And that all these these, uh, negotiated settlements are uh, are being are being done by litigants that don't have standing to bring them, and if the if if the opinion winds up stand you know standing the test of time, 
then it's going to make it much, much harder to, for these voting rights cases to be brought. Um, the article that you shared, Stephen, suggests that it's going to get appealed to the Supreme Court. I'm not so sure, given that this is an Eighth Circuit decision, and the Eighth Circuit includes the heartland of the country, places like Nebraska, Kansas, um, who else is there? I think the, the Dakotas. Um, I'm not sure who else is in the Eighth Circuit. Uh, Minnesota, I think. Uh, states that don't really matter. Um, and if I'm if I were if I were Mark Elias, who's the Democrat, uh, you know, he's the Democrat lawyer who spearheads a lot of these efforts. Uh, I might I might not want the Supreme Court to to rule to weigh in on that. I might I might say, you know what? All right. So we can't bring these cases in a couple of these states in the heartland. We're still going to bring them in Pennsylvania and Georgia and and all these places where where it really matters. Right. But. So, I mean, this is going on for decades, correct? Yep. So, just voting rights. I mean, it, it, it goes on in, uh, you know, it's it's really common with environmental statutes. Right, but didn't they write into the statutes that they gave standing to various organizations? That's what I had thought. Uh, not the Voting Rights Act. Not I, but the environmental ones. I That was what I always thought was the problem was they specifically gave these groups. I am not an expert in that area. It would depend on the statute. I, I, I don't I don't know them off the top of my head. Uh, but I do know that there's a lot of collusion in the environmental area where these groups, they, they almost negotiate with the, mm -hmm. the attorney general before they bring the lawsuit and they pick the venue. They try and pick the judge. They, you know, and then they try and negotiate a settlement that probably couldn't get passed in the legislature, even in a even in a blue state, because some of the things that they're that they put into the settlement just are so unpopular that they would never make it through the legislature without being without creating a, a firestorm. I mean, so it's a great system when you negotiate with yourself and you write your own check. It really is a great exactly system. right. But with the Voting Rights Act, is this the first time this got up to a circuit court? I mean, you'd think this was something that would have been challenged decades ago. And then my other question is. I assume at some point it's going to make its way up to another circuit, at which point the Supreme Court would almost have to deal with it if they conflict, right? Correct. Um, correct on the second count. As far as the first point uh, about, you know, why hasn't it been brought before? Sometimes people just miss things. I mean, you just assume, you know, you just assume that, you know, somebody has standing or you assume that the government has the, the power to do something. And it's not until somebody says, well, wait a minute, maybe the government doesn't have the power to do that. You know, I mean, I, it, like with, um, you know, I was involved in COVID litigation and I, one argument that I wanted to make, I couldn't find plaintiffs and, and funding to support it. But one argument I wanted to make is that um, the, um, what's that act? The, uh, the one that where there's no liability, the PrEP Act, the PrEP Act, which insulates Pfizer and, and these manufacturers from liability. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to make the argument that Congress doesn't have the power under the Commerce Clause to insulate Pfizer from liability because Pfizer is not selling, it sells it to the government and the government gives gave it away. So when the consumer who gets injured 
receives the the item, it's not commerce. It's it's a gift. Mm. So there's no there's no commerce there, and it's it's not you know it's not something that the the Congress has power under the Commerce Clause to to uh, insulate. And I actually found a case where um, Congress had passed a similar statute involving gun manufacturers liability and a Pennsylvania court struck it down because they on exactly the theory that I had, which was that uh, limiting liability on, uh, you know, on a not, you know, where it's not commercial, um, you know, shooting someone is not a commercial act was basically the argument in the Pennsylvania case. And uh, it was struck, you know, it was struck down by a Pennsylvania court. I haven't followed the case to see if it's been appealed. But my point is, nobody's really stopped to think, well, wait a minute, does Congress even have the power under the PrEP Act to prevent people from, to prevent a consumer from from suing Pfizer? They just take it for granted. Oh, the PrEP Act prevents it. I mean, if you listen, even like Thomas Massey, who's the leading guy in Congress who wants to repeal the PrEP Act, I haven't heard him or anybody else suggest, well, wait a minute, maybe Congress didn't even have the power to bring this, enact this in the first place. So uh, that happens a lot. I mean, it happens more often than you think that, you know, people just see see the statute, they see the law, and they just assume, oh, okay, they have the power to do that. Right, because the people whose job it would be to challenge it are not the ones, I don't know. I mean, it's the private sector that would want to challenge this stuff, right? Yes, but I mean... I think they I'm, would have smart lawyers. Even I'm saying, even within the community of lawyers that want that were that have been challenging COVID restrictions, I didn't meet too many people that I mean, I, I didn't meet anybody else who came up with the same idea. Now, when I mentioned it, there were people who thought, oh, that's I, I hadn't thought of it. Um, but that's the whole point. They didn't think of it. And, and they were good guys trying to find ways to attack it. You know, I saw. Lots of people try and distinguish the Jacobson case from 1905 in Massachusetts. I saw, uh, you know, lots of different theories, but um, sometimes, you know, you just miss it. And it's not because you're you're a bad person or even a bad lawyer. You just you just miss it. And it takes somebody to point it out. And then somebody points it out. And, oh, OK, yeah, we should have been doing this before. So my point is, I think that that's what happened with the Voting Rights Act cases, I think people just assumed that there was standing and then somebody said, well, wait a minute, maybe there's no standing here and there's no standing. Which is weird because isn't that like literally the first or second thing in every single lawsuit? Jurisdiction and standing. Yeah, especially in federal court where the federal court has to do an independent analysis. But, um, you know, judges are, make mistakes, too. <sighs> I'm glad my father's not alive to hear that. By rolling over, even thinking that I heard that. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time a judge was wrong, I'd be a very wealthy person. Oh, yeah. But again, he's not here. Remember, on his gravestone are the letters H-C-T-J. Here comes the judge. <laughs> they do take themselves seriously, do they not? <laughs> Yeah. Right. Any stories you guys wanted to cover that we didn't cover? I have gained more knowledge from Ed today than probably in six other shows, which is awesome. Anything you wanted to cover, Megan? 
Well, yeah, I just wanted to say Ed is just such a great friend and he is so smart. I learned from him almost on the daily and also super, super funny. So I'm just so thankful for Ed and I wish more people would listen to him because he's right most of the time. Um, most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Except for yeah. when he disagrees with me, you mean, right? Yeah, except for when he disagrees with me. But there was something that's been going around. Um, I have to actually read into it a little bit more, but it's uh, Rule 213 over here in um, New York. And what people are saying is that it's going to allow um, New York State to just quarantine people at, on a whim. Like if they don't like you, they don't have to give a reason. They can't tell you what illness it is that you're quarantined for, if any. They can't tell you if you demand to take a test to prove that you're not sick, they will not do that. If they, um, you know, just you have no rights. If you want to go before a judge, you cannot go before a judge. Like if they come and knock on your door at three o'clock in the morning, you have to go with them. So um, like I was kind of sort of aware that this was happening. But again, I have to look into it more. This is just quotes from what people are saying about it. Um, who knows how dramatized it has been? Because I hate that. I hate when our side just dramatizes everything. Um, so it just makes us look incredible. So I have to look into it more. But have you all heard anything about this? I had a vague memory of something like this coming up a few months ago. Mm -hmm. It's just coming through now. Okay. Let's see. Uh, I think it just the the court date just happened yesterday. I think with uh, what's her name, Bobby. Hold on, I have it. I have it right here. It's being challenged. Yeah, she challenged. She challenged it. Uh, Appellate court paves the way for quarantine camps. Um, attorney Bobby Ann Cox. Um, I could send this article. I did. I send this to you guys. Actually, it's a Substack. Uh, I thought I did. I sent it to the group. Uh, let's see if I'm even correct in calling it Rule 213. Um, so there's absolutely no way I can possibly sugarcoat this. So I'll be frank. The New York State Supreme Court Appellate Division's 4th Judicial Department has issued their ruling in our quarantine lawsuit against Governor Hochul and her Department of Health, and they have ruled against the will of the people. This was November 19th that this came out. All right, send it send it again to us and we will Yeah. I'll send it right send now. It next week. Oh, it, it's it's something that of course worries me um significantly because you know, I I'm fairly outspoken here in New York and is this just being done to keep people like me quiet so that I don't knock on doors so I don't try to get out the vote for the Republicans. I you know, I your mind goes to all these different places. Hmm. Like they say, even paranoid people have enemies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Since the pandemic, I'm like a totally different person. I used to be really gregarious and outgoing. I would be out with my friends all the time. I just since the pandemic, I, I stay inside. I, I hardly talk to anyone. I don't want to make friends. It, it's so sad. Yep. Like, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm very happy. I have a great life. I, it's just, I just saw the real ugliness and I don't want to bother with most people. <laughs> we, 
We think, um, guys, I got to wrap up unless somebody has something else that they wanted to discuss other than thanking Ed for being Cal Ripken and being here 181 straight shows sharing his wisdom. I'll throw a couple at you. Uh, number one, DeSantis got a pretty big endorsement in Iowa from Bob Vanderplatz. God bless a, you. Thank you. He's a religious conservative in the state. Um, I don't know how much endorsements really matter, but uh, he did endorse uh, DeSantis. Greg Abbott endorsed Trump. Sorry. Um, another story that caught my attention this week was uh, Trump's demand that Rona McDaniel, who he handpicked for the RNC, uh, shut down the debates or be kicked out. Excuse me. God bless you. Yeah. Um, I think if I think Rona should be kicked out regardless, but if she caves into that, I think that the 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 rest of the Republicans should be scouring the bylaws to see if she can be removed for that. <laughs> um, what else this week? Um, there was some other story, but I don't remember it right now. We can wrap up there. Okay. Happy Thanksgiving. We will give thanks. Yep. Happy Thanksgiving. And I'm welcome thankful for both of you. I'm thankful for everybody else that we have on the show. And uh, I'm thankful for a lot of things. So have, have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. I wish I could spend that. it with you guys. Well, you are. Take care. Without the indigestion. Okay, we'll be back next week, regular time. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. And again, have a wonderful holiday.